Our scripture reading this morning is a psalm of King David, Psalm 51, probably very familiar to most of you. You will find it, uh, I ask you to follow along. Um, If you do not have a Bible or you do not have a phone that can quickly call one up, you should be able to find Psalm 51 in a chair, a Bible near you, and you will find it on page 474. Um, If you are extremely familiar with this psalm, then maybe not follow along. Maybe just listen with a fresh ear and hear it like you're hearing it for the first time. Sometimes when we become so familiar with stuff, we just let it gloss over. And, and if that happens to be you, then I ask you, try to hear it afresh, hear it anew for the first time. Psalm 51, the entire psalm. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth, and I will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Here ends the reading of God's most holy word. Thank you, Tim. I want to invite you to keep your Bibles open to Psalm 51. When I was a boy, I wanted to be just like King David. 
Um, after all, he killed a lion and a bear with his bare hands, something that James and Johnny couldn't even do. Um, he killed a giant with Goliath, uh, he killed the, the, the giant Goliath with a slingshot. Uh, he led the Israelite army to um, many victorious battles. Um, so as a boy growing up, I wanted to be just like King David. When I became a man, I found out that I was more like King David than I had thought. Uh, and no, I didn't kill a lion with my bare hands. Instead, I needed the truth of Psalm 51 just as much as King David did. King David, though he was noted for being a man uh, who was after God's own heart, King David sinned greatly against the Lord. David needed a savior desperately, and I too needed and need a savior desperately. You know the story well. King David didn't go out to war with his army in the spring of the year. He stayed back. He was idle. And the story tells us that he saw a beautiful woman, Bathsheba, and he sent for her and she came and he committed adultery with her. She became pregnant and then David tried to hide his sin uh, but he was unsuccessful in doing that. And so, what did King David do? David ordered that her husband be killed on the battlefront, which he was. David was guilty of both adultery and murder. Maybe you are like me, not necessarily guilty of physical adultery or physical murder, but maybe you have been like me, sinfully angry, and Jesus says that if we are angry with our brother, if we call out, you fool, we are guilty of judgment before God. Our sinful anger offends God, as does murder. Maybe you too have looked on a woman with lustful intent, Again, Jesus says that we've already committed adultery uh, in, with her in our heart. Maybe you don't struggle with anger or lust, but maybe you are impatient. Maybe you are, just have a selfish bent to you. Maybe you're proud. You are quick to be judgmental. Maybe you are a lover of money. Maybe your life is controlled by worry and fear. Maybe you, you don't love God more than, than all else. So here, here's my question for you. Are you ever guilty of sin? Uh, do you see your sin? And, and if so, how do you respond? If you're here and you think, I'm never guilty of sin... I want you to know I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> I'm going to pray that you read your Bible and see not your own sin, or not see other sin, but in fact see your own sin. I'm going to pray that as you read your Bible, God will open up the truth of who you really are before him as a holy God. I'm going to pray that you can read your Bible
not seeing where others need God, but you see in your own heart of hearts your own sin and your own desperate need for a Savior and that you'll see the beautiful and glorious provision of Jesus as that Savior. You will see that you need Psalm 51 just like King David and just like me. Psalm 51, as already has been mentioned, has a context. The heading of Psalm 51 says, To the choir master, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Now, um, at least nine months elapsed, if not a bit more, between David's sin of adultery and murder and the visit of this prophet Nathan. God had sent Nathan to King David, and he sent him to David to confront him in a sin. He was very wise in how he did that. God gave him much wisdom. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, we read that account. Listen as I begin with verse 1, 2 Samuel 12. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and it grew up with him and with his children. He used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now, there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. And he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Verse 5, Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. And then down in verse 13, David says, I, I have sinned greatly against the Lord. So Psalm 51 then is David's response to God after Nathan confronted him in a sin. So this is very personal for David. And yet it's written down for the benefit of you, the church. So you know the situation of David, but even more, you must see here the instruction to help you respond to your sin. Psalm 51 really addresses that how should you respond to your sin and there are a number of important things that we learn first you should cry out for mercy verse one and two again say have mercy on me O God according to your steadfast love according to your abundant mercy blot out my transgressions wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin so when you cry out for mercy, you are asking God to not treat you as you deserve. Here, David knows, he knew that he was guilty before God. He deserved God's judgment, but he cries out for mercy and does so appealing to God's steadfast love. What, 
is steadfast love. It's the Hebrew word hesed. It speaks of God's covenantal loyalty. Um, David appealed for mercy according to what God had promised him and Israel in a covenantal relationship. Um, maybe David was thinking of Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7, which says this, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Maybe, maybe David was thinking of that passage there in Exodus 34. Maybe he was thinking of what we know as the Davidic covenant, or the covenant that God made with David, found in 2 Samuel 7. Here the Lord promised to David and his descendants that he would establish David's throne forever in righteousness. And this ultimately found fulfillment in Jesus, who is the righteous king that will reign on David's throne forever. So David cried out for mercy, appealing to God's steadfast love. David appealed to God to be merciful and blot out his transgressions, to wash him thoroughly from his iniquity and to cleanse him from his sin. Uh, as we think about this today, what promise has God given to us as New Covenant members? Well, one of our armor verses earlier from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 and 16 says this, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost, but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. What a, what a great promise. A, a life-giving promise. So when the Spirit convicts you of sin, uh, David teaches us here, cry out to God for mercy. Secondly, confess your sin. King David says in verse 3 and 4, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. So David owned his sin. David didn't make an excuse for what he did. David didn't minimize his sin. He didn't blame others for his sin. David said, I know my transgression. My sin is ever before me. David also knew that first and foremost, his sin was against God. Yes, he in fact did sin against Bathsheba. He did sin against Uriah. But his problem primarily was that he sinned against God. David knew that what he did was evil and offensive to God. And so God, therefore, had every right to bring judgment against his sin. David would not have cried out for mercy 
if he had not taken ownership for his own sin. But when God uses the word to expose your sin, cry out for mercy, confess your sin. Third, understand the depth of your sin. David said in verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So the origin of David's problem goes way back. Um, in fact, David was a sinner at birth. But even more than that, even at his conception, he was in sin. Now, what's being said here is not that his mother's sin when David was conceived. He is saying that as soon as he came into being as a human being, in his conception, he was guilty of sin. This is another great verse, incidentally, that teaches that human life, all human life begins at conception. But why was David's guilt, uh, why was David guilty of sin at conception before he had done anything right or wrong? Well, it's because of what we call original sin. That is, the first man, Adam, sinned and corrupted the entire human race. From David's very beginning in his mother's womb, the guilt of Adam was upon his life. And he was by nature a sinner from birth. Uh, Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Now, if you have seen my grandkids before, you would agree with me that they are possibly some of the cutest kids on the face of the earth. But you do not have to spend very much time with them to find out that sin comes quite naturally to them. <laughs> you don't have to teach them to respond wrong. If one of those cute little kids pushes another one of those cute little kids, there's retaliation, there's hitting back, and it can get ugly. It can get ugly really quick. Uh, I mean, you don't have to teach a kid to sin. You don't have to teach a kid to be selfish. Even my cute little grandkids, um, Ted Tripp called them vipers in diapers. And I think that's kind of fitting. Da David's problem was sin that began at his conception. A added to that, David says in verse 6, Behold, you delight in truth, in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. So God wants the heart. Be behavior is not all that matters to God. You can do the right thing for the wrong reason, and God is offended. Um, if I help an elderly lady across the street for my own ego and my own glory, God is not pleased in that. He's offended by that. God won't settle for anything but a clean heart, a pure heart that loves him and does all for God's glory, even as our new sign behind me says, Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be glory. Maybe a man can change his behavior, but he can't change his heart. 
Only God can change the heart of man. And so, listen to what David asked of God in verses 7 through 12. Um, in, in summary, David, David asked God for a clean heart. Um, verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Hyssop was a bushy plant that was used in ceremonial cleansing. Uh, hyssop was used to apply the blood of the Passover lamb to the door frames of the Israelites' homes in Egypt. There are many instances of this in the Old Testament. The point is this, being cleansed from our sin comes from God. God is the one that does that. Ephesians 1.7 says, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. John 1.7 says the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all of our sin. David also asked, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. That's a great picture. Here in a couple of weeks, probably a couple of short weeks, we're going to notice that as the grass is going to begin to turn brown, it's going to rain, it's going to look dirty, the leaves are going to come off the trees, and it's kind of an ugly time of the year. But those of, of, of us who live in the glorious land of Wisconsin will see that big, fresh snowfall where everything is covered over and it looks brand new. It's a great picture of our sins being made white as snow. Verse 8 says, David says, let me hear the joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. So a guilty conscience is a horrible thing because no matter what you do, no matter what you do, it persists. So if you've done something wrong and you know in your heart of hearts that what you've done offends God, no matter what you do, that guilty conscience will not go away. But I also want you to know that a guilty conscience, yes, it can be a horrible thing, but a guilty conscience is also good because it can lead you to Jesus. And through the gospel, our, our guilty conscience is cleansed we are made clean by the shed blood of Jesus and so when a guilty conscience leads us to Christ it's in Christ that we find cleansing and our guilt is gone praise God for that but God doesn't just want you to be forgiven God wants you to have a new clean heart verse 10 David asked create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Um, I will persist, in fact, in my sin, sinful ways if God doesn't give me a clean heart. If God doesn't create within me a clean heart, I will continue on in the same patterns of sinful living that I've always lived in. Verse 11 Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Now, much ink has been spilt on this verse. Um, clearly, the Holy Spirit was very active in the Old Testament. But what's unique about the New Testament is that Jesus sent out the Holy Spirit to dwell with all believers. 
Um, this indwelling spirit is one of the great blessings of the new covenant. Not only forgiveness of sin, Jesus interceding for us, but the Holy Spirit dwelling with us, keeping us. But in the old covenant, among other things, the Holy Spirit would come on a person to empower him for a particular task or office, like that of a king or a prophet. And I think that's probably what David has in mind here when he, he asks, Lord, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Certainly David would have remembered when God removed his spirit from Saul because of Saul's persistent uh, sin and unbelief. And I think David shudders to think of life without God's presence in his life, not just the blessing or power of God, but his presence. And so he asks, cast me not away from your presence and take not your spirit from me. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. David longed for the joy that comes as a result of living in a right relationship with God. Um, there, there is great joy as we live in a right relationship with God. There are many other things in life that you can pursue that you think will make you happy, but there is only one thing that will really satisfy the deep longings of your heart, and that is a right relationship with God. David asks, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Keep, keep me, O oh God, longing for your heart. So these are the things that David asked God to do. And in verses 13 through 17, we see how David then promises to respond with praise and right worship. Verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. So we, we learn here that David's going to teach others. David wants others to learn from his sin. David will boast of God's righteousness, not his own. David promises, declare God's praise. And he helps us to see that what God wants most is a broken and contrite heart. So when we think about a response to sin. What's appropriate is a broken and contrite heart. Anybody can go through the motions of making a sacrificial offering or coming to church to make up for what you have done wrong. But in fact, the Israelites were uh, often condemned by the Lord for making many sacrifices, but their hearts were far from God. God wants a broken and contrite heart. This is a heart that is humbled and 
sorrowful because you know that what you did grieved God. And this is a serious matter before God. And so you cry out for mercy. You own your own sin and you confess it to God. You don't make excuses or minimize your sin. You don't compare yourself with others. You ask God to forgive your sin against him. You ask him to give you a clean heart. You know that only God can give you his joy again. This is responding rightly to the Spirit's work in your life when you become convicted of sin. This is worship. David made this one final request to pray for the community of the redeemed, verse 18 and 19, do good to Zion in your good pleasure, build up the walls of Jerusalem, then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, then bulls will be offered on your altar. David's, David understood that his sin wasn't just between him and God. Uh, he lived in community. Uh, your sin isn't just between you and God. Uh, your, your life, your choices, your sin has an impact upon others. Your, your life, your choices, your sin has an impact upon the entire church. And for David, the final the final imprint that he left on the community? I mean, think about it. Here's a man who was noted for having a heart that beat after God, and yet he, he committed adultery. He committed murder to cover it up. And it would seem to make sense from a human perspective that that kind of action would be the final, uh, really, uh, story of his life that, that, that we focus on. That's what we remember. But the thing that we remember about David wasn't his sin, but that he, he was restored by a merciful and redeeming God. Praise God for that. Not just his sin, but the forgiveness of sin, the mercy of God, um, the restoration of God is what we will remember most when we think about this story of David. Not just David, but God and what he has done. Can you, can you identify with King David? When, when you sin, when you become convicted of your sin, when you in your heart of hearts know that you did something wrong before God. Not, not just other people, not just your parents, not just your boss, not, not other people on the face of this earth, but you know in your heart of hearts or something that you haven't done or something you have done that offends God. How, how do you respond? What do you do? Well, let me encourage you as David teaches us here, to cry out to God for mercy. Understand the depth of your problem. Um, it's not just a one-time isolated thing, but there, there is, 
You don't need just a Band-Aid to cover up one little boo-boo. You need a heart transplant. Um, you need only what God can give you. Understand the depth of your problem and confess your sin before God. Ask God to change your heart and respond then with praise and with right worship. We, we are so blessed. Um, I'm going to ask the men to come forward if they would to prepare for communion. Um, as we prepare for communion today, in, in light of just this story of David, and we know what he was guilty of, but Psalm 51 paints this picture of a God who responded with mercy, restoration, forgiveness, giving him a new heart. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. If you want to open up your Bibles, camp there during this time. 